If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, to Joshua. I said it again, Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. Will you pray with me? Father, our hearts are humbled before you. My heart is humbled before you. That you would choose, like you did the Apostle Paul, the most unlikely candidate to serve as your under-shepherd to this wonderful flock of yours called the First Family of First Baptist Church of Lawrence. I thank you for the privilege, the honor, at times the terror of taking that role. I thank you for the trust of these people, not so much in me, although I hope they have learned to trust me, but their trust in you and in your wisdom. I thank you, Father, that right now around this room and at least one man out on a lake somewhere in Kentucky, there are people who are praying for me. that my mind will be clear, that I will be focused on you, that distractions will be kept at bay, and that you will open all of our hearts and minds to hear what it is that I believe to the depth of my being you want us to hear today. So, Father, we give you these next few moments. We ask you to speak cut through the noise of my fallibility and my sinfulness, cut through the distraction of our own sinful hearts so that we might be united by the cord of your Spirit as one body, the blood of your Spirit flowing through every cell in this room so that together we might hear you speak and walk away from this place today saying, surely we have been in the presence of For it's in Jesus' name, the one who founded our church, we pray. Amen. I've got good news for you, um, and and Pastor Darrell probably helped out more than he realized. Um, If you grew up in the evangelical church, especially in the Baptist church, anytime the pastor said, I want all of you together so I can talk to you at once, it usually meant there was something bad about to happen. Okay, so let me just tell you right now, nobody's getting fired. We're not going to sell off your children to pay off the debt or anything like that. Uh, This is, I hope and pray, good news, wonderful things that you'll hear from God as he leads us and guides us. A few weeks ago in Deacon's meeting, we were talking about this new building committee that is going to be formed to help us just coordinate our efforts as we continue working on the beacon. I had come to the realization that, that since there was no one who really was the go-to person or go-to group, uh, it was hard to know what to do next, and we need a team that can help us. And so we were talking about committees and different things, and one of the deacons said, I believe just absolutely spirit-inspired, he said, Pastor, what we need more than anything is we need our leader to stand before us and tell us what does he see our vision is going forward as a church. 
What does he believe God would have us to do as we go forward? I scanned the rest of the men, asked them if they were in agreement with that. I will tell you, as I told them, I have prayed for years for the day that they would look to me and say, we want you to tell us where to go next. Maybe they were waiting for me to tell them. Okay, it's one of those kind of games where I thought you were going to call me and I thought you were going to call me. But the bottom line is, in God's leadership, he has brought together this moment. And as your pastor, I want to take this time to share with you what I believe God has laid on mine and Pastor Daryl's hearts as we lead as the under-shepherds and as your pastors. I'm so thankful for Daryl's video. He only asked me, he said, I wish I could be there. He actually talked about the idea, played with the idea of actually coming home just for this service. I said, no, 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 you're not going to do that. And he said, yeah, you're right. I probably need to fish. I said, yeah, I know you need to fish. So God called thing, you know. Um, he said, but I'd like to make a video. I said, that's fine. He said, it won't be about a minute long. Man's already a pastor, let me tell you. And, um, and, and, and I didn't, he said, I got it. When did I get it? At least yesterday afternoon late. I had not seen it, hadn't heard it and until I heard it yesterday. And I thank him, and I want you to be in prayer for him as he and I walk together. So this morning, I'm going to share with you what I believe to be the clearest way I know to express. Now, obviously, this is something that I'm going to say to you today and like lay it into your laps, as it were, and then we will begin the process of living out what does this vision mean for us as a church going forward. But before I can do that, I want to just very simply define two terms that I think are critical in this process. And the first one has to do with what do we see as a leader? When the deacon said, we need our leader to stand before us and, and help us see what God's vision is for the future. I want to make sure you understand that we find the answer to that question in Joshua chapter 3. Again, we could take the rest of the morning just expositing this passage. I'm not going to do that today, but I'm looking forward to when we get to this in our ongoing teaching from God's Word, and we get to talk a lot more about Joshua chapter 3 and what it means. But a couple of weeks ago, those of you that follow the blog site on Joy FM, there was a wonderful devotional called Not One Wet Foot. And it talked about how God interceded on behalf of the Israelites and that every one of them crossed over on dry land. And it was a wonderful devotional, very inspiring. I would encourage you, if you don't follow that blog site, not only to follow it, but also to get on and look at that, at that particular devotion. It's wonderful, very, very God-inspired. But there's only one problem with it. The title is wrong. Because there were at least four wet feet and probably eight wet feet that day. The feet of those four Levites that were carrying the ark. Those four men who took up the ark that represented God's presence with his people, and they stepped out a thousand yards in front of the people so the people would know the way to go. God leading the Levites, the Levites leading the people, the people following behind. And if you listen to the story carefully, it is absolutely clear that God, who could have dried up the river in the middle of the night, that morning when they first awakened, did not do so until those four men unconditionally surrendered their own safety by stepping into the flooded waters of the Jordan River. And the minute that they stepped into the water, God worked a miracle. And this is what a leader is. A leader is a person who is willing to get his feet wet so that you can cross over on dry land. 
Someone who is willing to go to the stake for you so that you can go into a land that you have never seen before. A place that you have never been. A land that God has promised you. I am convinced with all my heart, if someone out of their excitement and exuberance had run in front of those four Levites and jumped into the river, they would have been swept away and died. But those men had been set apart, and their task was to allow their feet to get wet so that the rest of the Israelites could cross on dry land. That is what a leader is. But what is a vision? In the business world, a vision is something that a Jack Welch or a Bill Gates or a Steve Jobs would do. They rise their head above the crowd, look out beyond, and envision what things ought to be, not what they are. It's interesting in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, there's a passage that we know very, very well. Actually, most of us who grew up memorizing Scripture memorized it in King James. Where there is no vision, the people perish. A an infamously hard verse to translate from the Hebrew. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So I grabbed my, my, my Bible gateway and looked at several different translations. The Holman, which is one of my, one of my favorite ones. Oh, I'm in the wrong place. Let me pack it back here. Proverbs. Oh, Psalms. Proverbs 29. The Holman says this verse 18 of chapter 29, without revelation, people run wild. Now, that immediately should tell you there's something about that word vision that's more than just the person standing in front of the people having a vision. It's a revelation. In the English Standard Version, the ESV, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Now, it's not only a revelation, it is a prophetic Vision, not so much prophecy as in like the Edgar Casey kind of prophecy, but a spoken word from God through his servant to his people. The NIV, whoop, that's King James. The NIV says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of the message, sometimes through not so much translating, but interpreting, Eugene Peterson gets it pretty dead on. And so in the message it says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. You see, a vision in the biblical sense of the word, number one, it reveals something that has been hidden. Number two, it is something that comes from God to his people. And because we are all priests of God, because we are all, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, God often will speak through his people. And the leader's job is to listen and determine when the word that is being spoken is God's word. And then to lead accordingly. But oftentimes it comes to the leaders because they are the ones that are closed in with the Lord, seeking his face, seeking his will, seeking his guidance, and then sharing that with the people. But the second half of that first part of the verse says, if you don't have that, the people perish. The people run wild. The people stumble all over themselves. The people cast off restraint. Bottom line is, 
When there is not a vision, nobody knows which way to go. And we need a vision from God for us today. So what is it? What is the vision that I believe that God has for us as his people? Pastor Darrell is becoming a pastor in more ways than one. He's almost, not yet Lisa, but he's getting there, almost as bad as me about coming up with analogies. I usually have 15 to 20 analogies that I have to choose among as I'm getting a sermon ready. And so Daryl immediately picked up on that and used the analogy of a house and a foundation. Before you begin working on a house, before you begin putting up new walls or new ceilings or new trusses or new studs or, or, or new flooring, you've got to make sure that your foundation is secure. You've got to make sure that beneath all of that, otherwise you can build anything you want and it will look absolutely beautiful. But it will not last. It will not last. And so the vision that I believe God has for us going forward as a church family is to make sure that the foundation of who we are is more important than what we do. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know some of you in this room are weary of one more strategy, one more program, one more plan, one more way of doing things, one more book, one more this, one more that. Always with the aim of reaching some kind of goal or seeing something happen. The problem is we're building walls and perhaps our foundation is not as solid as it should be. Our vision, mine and Pastor Darrell's, is that we become a church that exalts Christ in all things. In all things, we exalt Christ. In everything, we are infatuated with our love for Him that is a reflection of His love for us. That every day, in every decision that we make, we find ourselves asking, does this bring honor to Christ? Is this God honoring? Is it Christ exalting? Is it Spirit inspired and led and empowered? This is why we built the image of a sailing ship when we looked for a, a picture of our church, because a sailing ship can go nowhere unless the wind blows it. And Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, the wind will blow where it wills, and you don't know where it came from, or do you know where it's going? And he says, and such are those who are led by my Spirit. We don't know all the time where we're going to land, but we know that we're being pushed in a certain direction, that the Spirit of God is moving in us and with us and through us, guiding us to where He wants us to be. We will come to the point, I pray, in our lives where we will find all of our satisfaction in Christ and in Christ alone. John Piper, former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, now retired from that and serving in an educational position, but Pastor Piper, for years, built his ministry almost entirely around one sentence. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. When we find our greatest satisfaction, our only satisfaction in Christ and in Christ alone, then He will receive glory. Our goal as pastors, our goal 
as a church. Our vision is that we strengthen our foundation, build on that foundation, and that foundation is centered around exalting Christ in everything that we do, in every decision that we make, in every choice that we determine, in every step that we take, that we do it to honor Christ and Christ alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, this is nothing new. In our hymnals, there's an old hymn that many of us remember, more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. This is the prayer I raise on bended knee. Remember that? Remember that old song? Listen to the second stanza and see if this sounds like a 21st century situation. Once earthly joy I craved, sought peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek. You give what is best. So all the way from 1818 to 2005, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, my cornerstone, my solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Christ alone. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to really, really listen to God both in his word and through prayer. We have to listen to what he says. We have to ask ourselves the things that we have always assumed are true because it was part of our tradition, either as a denomination, as a church, as an evangelical believer, whatever. Is it in conformity with what Scripture teaches? And if not, what are we going to do about it? So we listen as God speaks. We listen as we teach it, as we meditate on it, as we think about it, as we journal it, as we pray it back to God, and we hear what it is that God is saying to us so that as we watch Him be elevated in our lives and come to the central focus of who we are, we realize that some things in our lives are going to have to change. Some of the assumptions that we have made, some of the things that we have always thought were right because that's what we were taught. But nobody ever told us where in Scripture that was found. It's just, this is just the way we do it. We realize that the Bible is teaching something radically different at times. Let me give you one example. I think I have time for one example. I was brought up in a generation that was told, if you don't go out and share the gospel with your friends and neighbors, if you don't go out and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, one day you will stand before the throne of God and that neighbor will come across in front of you They'll look to God and Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And that person will turn and they will look you in the eye and they'll say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Now you want to talk about a guilt trip. And there's one little problem with that. That's not found in Scripture. Let me tell you what the Bible says about evangelism. The Bible says, God says to us, I am calling men to myself and women to myself. I am out there working. You don't know who I'm working on right now, but I do. And I want you to go and I'm going to let you join me in the process. And we're going to have fun together as you begin to share and watch what happens. So you go and you share. And then you know what? Your work's done. What did Paul say? I plant. Apollos waters. Who gives the increase? God gives the increase. And again and again and again, remember the passage we say, oh, but now, Pastor, don't forget. Don't forget that passage in the Old Testament. I will require their blood at your hands. Yes. 
if we fail to obey the mandate to get with God in the process of what He's doing in the world, we're sinning. But it says, if you go out and you share and they don't respond, it's not your fault. It is not your responsibility. You have done your task to share the gospel in a winsome way through your life, through your words, through your testimony, whatever it may be, and then let me take it from there. Now, let me tell you, that makes sharing the gospel fun because I don't have to worry about the results. I don't have to worry about whether they check the box on the card and pray the prayer and walk down the aisle and go through the baptistry. That is God's process, not mine. That's what the Bible says about evangelism. And we're going to learn how to enjoy being out in the world sowing seeds of the gospel everywhere. That's just one example. But we have to listen to what God says. We have to examine everything that we do with the question, does this program, does this plan, does this process, does this class, does this Bible study, does this organization exalt and honor and lift up Christ? Not does it promote my church. Not does it make us look good in the community. Not does it give us a larger crowd. Not does it get more people in the door or to the youth rally or whatever. But does this honor Christ? Christ. Jesus only said one thing about drawing a crowd. How does he say he'll draw people? When we lift him up. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. So our task is to do what? Say it. To lift him up. To lift him up in our lives. To lift him up when we're standing in line at Schnooks. And we notice that one of the cashiers is kind of crotchety today and in a bad mood. And we choose to get in their line so we can plant a word of love and joy and peace into their hearts. Individually, it means that in our individual lives and our homes, we're going to have to rethink what does it mean to put Christ first and only in our lives. And he said, wait a minute, Pastor. I see first. What do you mean by only? Okay, I understand there are going to be other things in our lives. I understand that. But everything should be pointing toward Christ. It's not I have Christ here and I have all these other things over here. And I have to kind of divide up my time. No, Christ is at the hub. And everything that we do, our work, our parenting, our marriage, our relationship with our neighbors, the clubs we're a part of, the things that we do for recreation, all of them point back toward Christ and exalting Him and raising Him up so that He can draw people to Himself. It means we have to think how we raise our children, the choices that we make, the TV shows that we watch, the things that we do in the evening after they get home and they finish their homework. What do we do? How do we spend our time with ourselves as couples? Time when we sit down and pray together and talk together and share together. What do we do as we try to nurture our grandchildren and our grown children? All of those things and so many more. Corporately, it means that we as a church family must be constantly asking ourselves, how can we as a body of believers exalt the name of Christ? That is our task. That is our task. Now, can I just ask you the question? Let me just, just bare my soul to you. What if we say, absolutely, we're going to exalt the name of Christ. He says, great, I'm so glad you're on board with me. But guess what? You'll never have more than 200 people in worship ever again until I return. What's our response? That's okay. If that's what you want, Father, that's okay. We would love to have 500 people here worshiping. But if you want to help us become the conduit for sending out a thousand Sonia Waddles into the world. Is that not just as honorable a goal? Is that not just as honorable a mission for the cause of Christ as having to tear down this building and build one ten times bigger? If God chooses to do that, believe me, we'll all thank Him for that too. That's not my point. Not that I don't think He will. My point is He'll do whatever He chooses to do. Our job is to elevate Christ as a body. 
Now, some of you are thinking, okay, Pastor, um, I kind of got word you were going to do this today. And I kind of thought maybe what you were going to do is give us this nice list of, 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 of things, action plans, and, and, you know, and do this and finish that and, and build that and, and do that way. You know what? When I first started preparing for this, that's exactly what I had. I had a list that was so long it made me tired just reading it. And the man on the screen was used by the Holy Spirit to say, Steve, I know your heart. I know your heart. I know that you're skipping over what's the most important to get to what will happen as a result of that. But some of the folks may not understand that. This is not about five new programs, three new processes, two new teams, and 17 new thises and thats. This is about let's get our hearts right with Christ. Let's get ourselves in line with the Scriptures. Let's stop tolerating open sin in our midst. Let's begin talking what it means to be holy people, not self-righteous, not better than thou, not pharisaical, but lovingly, humbly seeking to be. You see, we're not looking at what, what the We're all going to have to learn how to do this, okay? We've got to get used to the fact that we don't care what the world around us sees of us. All we care about is what does he see of us. What does he see of us? Remember that line in one of my favorite hymns? We turn from the world with its smiles and its scornings to cast in our lot with the people of God. Whether they smile at us in affirmation or whether they scorn us in derision, we don't care. We're here for Jesus. He is the sun and we are the moon. His light comes. We reflect it not just back to him. We reflect it to the people who are in darkness. You see, you can't see the sun at nighttime, can you? But you can see the moon. And when a person is lost, they can't always see Christ, but they can see us. And we are just a dim reflection. I could easily tell you, we're going to go out in the world and we're going to be more loving. We need to be more loving when we go out into the community. We need to be more loving when we go into our places of work. We need to be more loving. You know what? We probably do need to be more loving. But guess what? I can't do that in and of myself. I'm not a loving person. What is love? Galatians chapter 5. It's a fruit of where is it? There it is, right over Steve Conrad's shoulder. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit makes us more loving. So my job is not to try to be more loving. My job is to try to be more filled with the Spirit. And then I'll be more loving. I'll be more joyful. I'll be more peaceful. I'll be more patient. I'll be more kind. I'll be more gentle. I'll be more faithful. I'll be more self-controlled. I'll be more good. That's that the ninth one. But our focus. So let me tell you. There are still going to be a lot of things that will come out of that. But we can't start there. We have to start with the foundation. Now, let me take just a minute and talk to you about what I see my role. Because I'm going to tell you, as the Spirit begins to work in our midst more and more and more, we'll see that what we do will flow out of who we are, and there'll be plenty of stuff for us to do. <laughs> because you're going to begin to say, I got to I am so in love with what Christ has done for me. I've just got to do something to be able to let other people know about that. I've got to do something that will exalt him where I am. And that's where your church family will come along and say, let us help you find ways to do that. What is my role as your pastor and Pastor Daryl's? This is probably the most emotional thing for me to say. My job, my task is to constantly Hold up the image of Christ before your eyes so that you will see him 
and your hearts will be touched and your lives will be changed and will grow in Christ's likeness because we've seen the love and the grace and the mercy and the passion of our Lord for us who then says, come, go with me as we walk together. My role is to constantly be bringing us back to how we exalt Christ. And not just for the 25 or 30 minutes or 35 minutes that I'm standing here in front of you on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week. My role is to do everything I can to constantly keep us on the path. One of the analogies that I started working on for this message was the one of, of being able to see a mountain off on the horizon, a peak, and saying, that's where we need to go. Now, let's just keep our eyes set on that, and let's see if we can find our way. And that's not a bad analogy. But the more Daryl and I talked about it, I said, really what's more, more like us being in a jungle. We can't see a thing. We can only see three feet in front of us. But there's a path. A path that someone has gone before us. And we know who that someone is. Carved the path uniquely for us so that we in turn, our task is to stay on that path and each day to see where he takes us as a family and as individuals. And that's my job. That is my role as a shepherd. I started to ask the deacons if they would have come and sit down in the front row, and I'm sure you guys would have been glad to do it, but I never like throwing a curve to you guys. I just, that always makes me nervous to, to throw a curve because I don't want you to ever feel like I'm using you because that wasn't my point. But I wanted you to understand, you to understand, that these deacons also have a, a prime role in this process. Because if I am going to spend 95% of my time helping to make sure that we are spiritually focused on exalting Christ, the deacons will continue to do what they've already started doing and doing or doing so well. They're doing so well, which is they are beginning to handle more and more of the the temporal affairs, the secular affairs. We have a deacon rep on our property resource committee, a deacon rep on our finance committee, a deacon rep on our personnel committee, a deacon rep on our nominating committee, et cetera, et cetera. And these other teams will have deacons that will be helping that process so that I can be freed up, according to Acts chapter 6, to prayer and preaching the Word and making sure that I'm keeping us focused. Now, does that mean I won't know about it? Of course I know. We have deacons meeting twice a month. And we'll be talking and praying together and putting a spiritual spin on everything that we do from painting a room at the beacon to laying tile in a room to whatever it is, to hiring a staff member, whatever it may be, it will always be done with the idea of how does this exalt Christ. My role is to watch and to oversee. And if I begin to see one of you get astray, to be able to come and sit down and talk with you, not to challenge you, not to make you feel bad, but to say, hey, I'm concerned at what I'm seeing. Can I help you? If I see us beginning to drift off course, one of the biggest areas that we're going to have to work on, not because it's just First Baptist Water, this is just where we are right now in Baptist life, is this thing that somehow or another, everything that has to do with our salvation depends on us. I got news for you. There ain't nothing depends on us when it comes to our salvation. Anybody read Ephesians 2 recently? How does Paul describe us before we came to Christ? And you were dead. How much can a dead person do? Not a thing. Did Jesus raise himself from the dead? Go back and think. Think a minute before you answer. Over and over that, the sermons you've been studying in Acts, it says God raised him up. Now, I understand we get all the theology, Jesus was God, all that, but the point is, is that even Jesus himself had to be resurrected by his Father, brought back to life by his Father. And so it's God that does this work. And in so many ways, that, 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 that misunderstanding ripples out in all kinds of things that we do as a church, and as a family, and as individuals. 
I got to tell you something else. I almost skipped this. And I'm glad I saw it. Thank you, Father. Something else, and I'm just going to tell you this just, just as straightforward as I know how. You know I'm a sinner, okay? But I must take time. Listen now. Just listen. Don't hear this the wrong way. I must take time to make sure that I am as close to Christ as I can possibly be, not as your pastor, not as your friend, not as your son's teacher, but as a son of God himself. I have to make sure that I am there. Otherwise, if I'm not there, you'll never get there. Understand that. It is not that I'm more important than you. It is not that I am more holy than you. I'm as much a sinner as every one of us. None of us can save ourselves. But what I do know is that I have to make sure that my plow is clean so then I can turn around and come to us as a family and say, we have got to re-examine what we believe about this because we have let ourselves slowly by two degrees of separation begin to drift off and now we are way over here when God's plumb line is here. We need to get ourselves back. But in order for me to do that, in order for you to trust me, you've got to be able to look at me and say, as far as I can tell, pastor is living a life that is honorable, humbly honest, and repentant before the Lord. And yes, I'm going to slip. And yes, as my father-in-law said to one of you, I don't remember who it was, one of you a couple of weeks ago at a Bible study, yes, if you see me in sin, you jolly well better come and confront me about it. And if you're afraid to come, grab a deacon and come. Because if you love me, and if you understand that God has placed me in this role, then you want me to have a clean plow. You want me to have a clean slate before the Lord. You want to make sure. And so if you see anything that even hints, if I offended you, if I hurt your feelings, if I forgot to call you when I said I would, you need to come so I can ask your forgiveness and we can resolve that issue as quickly as we can. So what will we do? Well, a lot of what we do will be exactly what we've been doing, but we'll do it for a different reason, with a different motivation. Most of you know the first role I had once I got out of seminary was doing youth work, youth and education. And let me tell you what, I was a stinking good youth pastor in my 20s. I'm not very good. I probably wouldn't be very good at it now. Sorry, students, but I could draw a crowd. Let me tell you, I knew everything in the book to get a bunch of kids together for fun. I mean, we played, I don't know what Wells Fargo is. We play Wells Fargo to all hours of the night. It's kind of a combine of capture the flag and hide and go seek. It is an amazing game that you play with tape on your leg. That's all I'm going to say about that. But it's a great, and I mean, I could, I could draw a crowd of kids. But in my two and a half years there at Woodland Baptist Church, we only saw four youth come to Christ, four. We averaged over 80 youth in worship in Sunday school, four. Now, looking back on it 30 years later, I'm ashamed of that. Because I knew how to do all the right things. Man, I could draw a crowd. I could get a bunch of kids together, but I had the wrong motivation. The motivation was to my glory. The motivation was for my praise. My motivation was this, so the crowd would go, man, this guy is awesome. Now, do I believe if I had done it right, the Lord would not? I don't know what the Lord would have done. He never, <laughs> never gave him the chance. I was too busy getting glory to myself. But I know what it's like to have a long list to do. So we'll do a lot of the very same things, but the motivation will be different. The motivation will be, does this honor Christ? I'll give you an example. We are in the midst right now of writing out a plan for consolidating our preschool and children's ministries. And I don't have time to go into all the details of that now, but we're going to consolidate so that it's seamless. So what we do on Sunday morning, what we do on Wednesday night, will not only be, 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 be spatially in terms of our, where, our, where we're located united, it also will be curricularly united. 
And so that we, but why? To what goal? So we can have more kids come? I hope more kids will come, but our goal is so we can begin feeding truth into these children so they're ready to come to Christ. So we can help moms and dads plant seeds of the gospel in those children's lives. If God chooses to bless us with giving us more kids because of what we're doing, to Him be the glory. But we want to do this because we want to be able to be agents of His in changing the lives of children. I love this hymnal, but it is old and it is dated. We're going to update our hymnals. Why? Because I think that'll bring 50 more people to worship. No, I'm not sure it'll bring five more people to worship. But it may help us to worship more effectively. It may help us. So we're going to talk about getting new hymnals. We'll still be doing, but you see, the difference is what is our focus? What is our motivation? Why are we doing what we're doing? Your role in that is to go home this week and begin saying, what in my life is not Christ-exalting. Now you can say, now pastor, this is what frustrates me about you. I don't know how to answer that question. Everything could be Christ-exalting, everything could perhaps not be. So my question is, which ones are? In other words, which things are you doing with the primary aim and purpose of exalting Christ? Lifting Him up for people to see. Now you say, well, if the answer to that is no, should I stop that? Depends. Can you repurpose that task? Can you repurpose that relationship? Can you repurpose that thing, that thing so that it will honor Christ? Then you need to begin the process of, with God's help of reshaping that thing in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your home, in your work, so that it is now focused on exalting Christ and not having a good retirement, looking good to the boss, uh, whatever. I don't even want to try to make a list. That's because we're going to be doing that over and over and over again. And that tells me it's time for me to stop. And I did put the sound on because I wanted you to hear me understand that I'm also a man under authority. And I've taken 35 minutes of your life today in worship to say to you what I believe God wants us to do as a family. It's not about doing things in order to get to something. It's doing things as a result of something. Say that one more time. It is not doing things for something. It is doing things as a reaction or result of something. We don't go out and do a program so we can draw a bigger crowd. We do something because we are so in love with Christ and we so want to exalt Him and we so want to express to Him our love and our thanks and our worship and our praise. And we are so enamored with Him. We are so impassioned about who He is and what He has done for us that out of that, we do some of the exact same things, but to His glory and for His honor. And that will not grow old. That will not grow weary. That will be blessed the last part of Proverbs 29 said, blessed be the one who hears what God says and obeys it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We do. I think 95% of the people in this room love you, surrendered their lives to you years ago. But corporately, Father, 
you have burdened Pastor Darrell's in my hearts. I don't think we're in any great egregious sin. But our focus has been shifted. Maybe like the church of Ephesus, we have at least to a certain extent lost our first love. And I pray that in the days to come, the people who are in this room, the people who could not be here today but will listen to this video, watch this video or listen to the audio of it, will begin seeing a change in the way that we operate as a church family. That we will focus more on who we are than on what we do. And while there will always be things that need to be done, we understand that. We will do them with the right motive. We'll rock babies and sing in order to begin from the very earliest days to teach them that you love them. We'll hand out bulletins because we're so excited to be in your presence and we want other people to be too. And so we smile and shake a hand and hug a neck. Whatever we do, Father, it will be for your glory and to raise Christ up and exalt him in all things. So to that end, Father, we take these last few moments before we head out to sing our affirmation of what you said to us. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it.